Good morning, everybody. Um, I know I know lots of you, but the, I know we've got visitors too. So if I just introduce myself, I'm obviously Maria, and I'm married to John. Uh, that's John, J-O-N, just in case you're not sure. You'll see his little label on. Sometimes he's on the door welcoming people. And, um, and we've been part of the church from the beginning. So uh, we were part of a little group um, that we thought would just start as a little church in a house. And uh, it never was there at all, ever. And that's really great. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. So if you've got a, a Bible and you want to read it, uh, would you like to find it now? Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have, been, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now John and I have two sons. Some of you may know them, but for those of that you don't, Joseph <laughs> is 20 and he's an intern for evangelism at the Message Trust in Manchester. So Joseph sees Carl quite a bit at work. I think Carl keeps an eye on him. Uh, Josh is 18 and is at Nexus ICA in Coventry this year. Uh, and, this, and where he's studying Christian music, theology and also sign technician. Is that right, Josh? Uh, today I thought, though, I want to tell you a story about Joseph, so you're okay. When Joseph was around the age of 15 or 16, he went off to Sheffield with his friends. Uh, I can't remember if he was going to ice skating or to Laser Quest, but I gave him enough money to cover the activity and the food. Now, uh, I hope what most of you know about Toy Story. Can you visualize Toy Story and can you visualize Mrs. Potato Head? <laughs> okay, I am Mrs. Potato Head. 
She's a worrier and she likes to pike way too much for Mr. Potato Head when he goes away, just in case he needed it. And that is generally me. All my life, I have sent the boys out on school trips, holidays, etc., with things packed, talks given, um, and lists written for every eventuality that might happen to them. Their case was often the biggest and the fullest. Is that right, Josh? <laughs> At this particular day, I sent Joseph out with an additional emergency £5 note. This was because he did not possess a debit card or much cash of his own. This was money only to be used in an emergency, and I expected it back in my hand at the end of the day if there had not been an emergency. Money was tight, we did not have much spare cash, so I was hoping that there wasn't an emergency. Tea time arrived and Joseph came home, and here is a snippet of our conversation. It's not going to go well. Uh, did you have enough money, Joseph? Yes. Did you spend it all? Yes. Okay, I'll have the emergency £5 back, please. Well, I haven't got it. What do you mean you haven't got it? I thought you said you had enough money. Did you have an emergency? No. <laughs> so what did you do with the £5? Oh, I gave it to some homeless guy. At this point, you are probably thinking, ah, <laughs> good old Joe, what a lovely thing to do. I was not thinking that at all. In fact, I was livid. And no matter how I tried to discuss with Joseph, he could not see what my problem was. Are you shocked at my attitude? I'm sorry, but this was my gut reaction. Giving to the homeless guy was not the problem that made me angry. It was the ease with which Joseph gave my money away. <laughs> if Joe had even attempted to explain the situation at the beginning of the conversation, I might have reacted differently. <laughs> now I'll give you a little bit of time to recover from that story and we'll look at the passage. We're coming back to it later. Matthew tells us that this man was a young and rich. And in Luke 18, verse 18, it says tells us he was a ruler. So this young man had many things going for him. He had youth on his side, he was wealthy, he was living a clean moral life, he had a position in society, and he was a ruler. From every outward appearance, this man was an ideal young person. He was good, religious, had responsibility, and was morally clean. In today's society, he, he may have been the envy of many people, and a good catch for any young lady looking for a husband. However, there was something missing and he knew it. He did not have peace with God. So he came searching. He had heard of Jesus and sought him out. And to his credit, he did come to the right person. He approached the Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So he'd come to Jesus with a respectful attitude and he valued Jesus' opinion. But Jesus was more than just a teacher. He is the Son of God. He is the way. And before this young man could inherit eternal life, he needed the correct understanding of who Jesus was. Jesus, however, is very patient and answers the question by saying, keep the commandments. Now, at first you might think, why did Jesus say that? Surely we can't work our way to heaven. 
Why didn't Jesus just say, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in me and you will have eternal life. There is a reason. Jesus can see into this man's heart and he knows what is keeping him from eternal life. Jesus wants to draw it out of him so that he fully understands what he needs to do. So there is a conversation between them both. What was this young man thinking though? Did he think Jesus would say, actually, you're okay, you have done enough? Or did he think the answer to his question would just be a simple one? Did he think he could work his way to heaven? There was perhaps just one thing he thought he was not doing and Jesus would be able to point him in the right direction. Jesus tells the young man he must obey the commandments. Which ones is the next question. In my mind, I think, uh, in my mind, I think if he had kept them all, why did he feel the need to ask this question? But again, Jesus answers impatiently. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. The young man has kept all these, so he thinks, but, it's his, but in his heart he fe must still feel uneasy. There is still something missing, and he knows it. There is still uncertainty in his heart, so he asks one final question. All these I have kept, what do I still lack? He still thinks he needs to do something or gain something. He really has no understanding of, of his situation. Works and good behaviour are not enough. He may have had great wealth, been intelligent and self-sufficient, but he was spiritually bankrupt. Jesus gives the young man his final answer, and it is like a knife to this man's heart. Without realising it, this young man had not kept all the commandments because he had got wealth as his God and he was just about to find this out. Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. So the answer for this young man is not to gain something, not to get, get some other credit or some other string to his bow, it was to let something go. It was to lose something. You see, his problem was that he had not kept the two most important commandments. Uh, in Exodus 20, verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. And in Luke 10, verse 27, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. This was the crux of the matter. Like the layers of an onion, Jesus carefully peeled away the layers of this man's life that stood between him and eternal life. There was no misunderstanding what Jesus meant. His belongings had blinded him, but now he could see what he lacked. His love of money was more than his love of God. We all know what happened next. This younger man went away sad because of his great wealth. He was sincere in his searching but he fell short of the mark. Obedience to this level was too much for him. He could not let go of all he owned. It was a millstone round his neck that choked him. And it was a high wall that separated him from God. He asked the question, but he did not like the answer, so he walked away. I think this rich young man, this ruler, was an intelligent person. And his sadness was all the greater as he walked away because he fully understood the answer 
and he knew it was right, but he could not bring himself to sacrifice everything for eternal life. I wonder what Jesus would say to us if we said to him, what do I still lack? Do we think we are okay? It can be a ga dangerous game to play if we do. For each of us, there may be an issue or a situation that separates us from God and even from eternal life. Nothing can be hidden from God. And just as Jesus saw into the heart of this young man, he sees into our hearts. This young man was living a good life, keeping most of the commandments and probably tithing as required, but he was given the bare minimum. Did he love his neighbor as himself? Like this rich young ruler, if our wealth or ourselves are more important to us than God, then we have a problem. The all-consuming God may be our pride or anger or our own forgiveness, or a relationship or sport or online gaming, the list is endless. These activities and emotions can often consume us. Do we really want these things first place in our lives? God's kingdom or ours, which is the most important? Not only does this young man walk away because of his great wealth, he then rejects the greatest invitation he will ever receive. Come follow me. He rejected Jesus in favor of wealth and the religious keeping of the laws. If he had followed Jesus, he would have understood who Jesus was, that Jesus is the way. He went away sad. I can just imagine a movie scene. The emotional music is playing. We watch the young man walk slowly away, out of sight, head down in sorrow. We think to ourselves, it can't end like this, but it does. There is no happy ending for this young man, certainly not at this time. Jesus was within touching distance of him. He had a unique encounter. He had Jesus' undivided attention, and Jesus offered a solution to his problem and an invitation to follow him. The young man was so close and yet so far away. If this young man had put God first from the beginning, he would have been okay. In our lives, we can be so close and yet so far away. God needs to be our priority, a way of life for us. Sometimes Jesus needs to peel away a few layers in us before we can begin to understand what we are lacking in our walk with him. In verse, sorry, but how will we know if we don't ask the, the right questions? In verse 20, the young man asks, what do I still lack? If we would only ask this question, wait for the answer and then act on it, our life, our faith would be transformed. All this had taken place in front of the disciples. Jesus turns and tells them how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He gives them an example of the camel going through the eye of a needle, just to emphasize this point. Uh, think about it. Now, Dan says that camels are lovely. This is why I looked at him earlier. But actually, I think they're big and ugly. So think about it. A big, ugly, spitting, lumpy camel trying to go through the eye of your granny's sewing needle. It is not going to happen, is it? And so the disciples were shocked. I'm probably a little worried and asked who then can be saved. Peter and Andrew and the other disciples did not always understand everything, but they were willing to ask questions and Jesus clarifies the situation for the disciples. With God, all things are possible. 
I think that's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Um, with God, all things are possible. You know, so it, it's just a wonderful thing to read. So once we were far away from God, but with him all things are possible. If you are, you are sat there thinking, well, God does not want me. I'm not a good person. In fact, I'm not worth bothering about. Then you are wrong. With Jesus, it is possible. Jesus says, follow me and I will clean you. Not clean yourself up and then follow me. Yes, we may have to let go of a few things that separate us from God. But once we have done that, then Jesus can work with our surrendered life and make it a lot better. I was brought up in a non-Christian home. Religion and faith were never discussed. It was okay for me to be in the church choir at Old Brampton. And my mum and dad did come to church when I was confirmed. Um, but then, at the age of 17, I started attending a brethren church. And that was altogether a new thing for my mum and dad to understand. I managed to get my mum to one service, but the person giving the sermon told us she was a sinner. And that was the end of that. She was so angry. She knew plenty of people who had done bad things and who were, were sinners, and she was not one of them. Um, so my parents never came to my baptism, and for years, about 30 actually, my mum was not interested in anything Christian. Then in 2010, my mum got ovarian cancer. I'm going to get weepy now. Sorry. I'll get it back together. It was just that one sentence. She deteriorated very quickly. She's all right, by the way, so I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> I better get that in now. <laughs> she deteriorated very quickly, and although she um, had an operation planned to remove the cancer, I didn't think she was going to make it to that operation. She found it difficult to walk because of the growth. And a week or so before her operation, we were walking through town. She was holding on to me, and I was carrying her bags. Sorry. I've got to get through the story because it's part of it. <laughs> she needed a watch battery. So we went to her usual market stall. I can't even read the words now. And we were waiting. Sorry. So we went to a usual market stall. As we were waiting, a guy came over and asked me if I needed prayer. I said I did not, but my mum did. We found out that this man had come from Nottingham to pray for those that needed it. And when I looked across, he did have a banner on his market stall, but we just hadn't noticed. Me and mum were both overwhelmed with grief at the time due to the seriousness of her illness. My mum will willingly accepted the offer of prayer. So in the middle of Chesterfield, this man spent five minutes in prayer for mum and for me. Sorry. I can get there. I can get there. To this day, I think of this man as my angel and mum's too. I had never seen him before and I have never seen him since. It was a special time for me and mum. It gave us both hope and it was the start of mum's faith. That situation seemed impossible. Firstly, mum's illness appeared to be taking her from before my very eyes. 
But who would have thought that she would have had prayer in the middle of Chesterfield, town centre? With God, all things are possible, even what seems impossible. Mum recovered from that cancer, and three years later she developed cancer of the esophagus. She had major surgery and spent six months in the Northern General Hospital. She read Our Daily Bread every day in hospital, and still does even now. She prays for me, she prays when horrible things happen in the world, and she has prayed for very simple things like losing her bus pass, and when she walked onto the drive, there it was waiting for her. It was 30 years in God's planning, but with God, all things are possible. And I'd like to encourage you that every single act that you do has relevance for eternity. You think that if that man had not decided to come to Chesterfield that day, he wouldn't have been there, he wouldn't have walked over to us, and he wouldn't have offered us prayer. And, and we too have that same opportunity every day to, to encourage and support other people. So we'll get back to the passage now. In spite of the answer that all things are possible with God, Peter's still not sure. He just needs to ask one more question, just to make sure. We have left everything for you. What then will there be for us? Oh, sorry, I'll have to blow my nose. <laughs> you don't get this very often. <laughs> the disciples had left all that was in their lives, family, fishing boats, livelihood, they had worked hard at their trade, but these things were not important to them in comparison with following Jesus. Matthew the tax collector left his wealth to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus gave up a large proportion of his wealth when he met Jesus. It is and it was and is possible to be rich and be saved. And as we see, when they met Jesus, they gave up much. What does Jesus say then about what there will be for us? What will our, be our reward? If you have obeyed God and put him first in your service to him, if you have surrendered your home, your wealth, moved away to share the good news of Jesus, whatever you have done for Jesus' sake, you will receive much more and receive eternal life. Is there our reward here on earth? Well, no. We don't necessarily receive material possessions or sacrifice would be easy. But I do think God honours all that we sacrifice. If we thought we could get even richer by giving everything away, then we would all be doing it. By serving God and relinquishing those things that appear higher on our agenda than Jesus, our true reward is God's presence with us through the Holy Spirit today and every day. We'll have peace and joy even during times of adversity because God is with us, he is our strength. So what does this passage mean for us today? Firstly, you can be good and not inherit eternal life. You can keep all the commandments and appear outwardly good, but if there is something that is more important to you than God, you are in trouble. Are we hanging on to things that make us look good and feel good, but not eternally saved? Don't just think nice thoughts. Actually offer all that you have to God. Let him decide if it is required. Be willing to give it up. It is the only way. Secondly, one day in the future, hopefully not today, I will leave this earth, you will leave this earth, we will die. Everything we have will be left behind. We take nothing with us, so why is it so important to us now? 
Everything we do on earth is, is important for our eternal future. This is what should be important. What will our inheritance be? Will it be eternal life? If you have never faced this question before, now is the time to ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There are people here today who can talk to you and pray with you. Don't walk away sad today. Thirdly, looking at the example of the rich young ruler, what do we need to do with our riches? Remember the emergency £5 note? Joseph never owned that £5 note. It was put into his safekeeping, and when he saw an emergency, he gave it away. That money never really belonged to him, and he found it easy to let it go. He passed it on to someone who had greater need than himself. We need to look at all our belongings, our money, our time, what we want in life as something that does not really belong to us. God has graciously given me and you all that we have. You may be thinking, well, I've worked hard for all I have, so some of it must be mine. Think of it this way. We are so fortunate to be born in the UK. Does God love us more because we have had the opportunity to live and work in the UK? Does God love us, sorry, while others are born in poverty in different parts of the world? Did we earn the right to be born in the UK with good works before birth? No. We are not loved more, nor have we deserved what we have any more than anyone else but we do have a responsibility with what we have been given. And verse 30 sharpens our mind on all that Jesus has just said. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The poor and those that are seen of little value in this world are top priority in God's kingdom. And as believers, they should be our priority too. I pray that this passage will reveal to us a new way of viewing our belongings, our money and our life. We need to view all that we possess like the emergency £5 note. It's not really ours. God entrusted it to us. Use it wisely. Hold on to it lightly. And nothing is worth keeping if it separates us from God. Following Jesus may involve a cost, but how much more the cost to Jesus in the purchase of eternal life for me and for you. I just want to close with the words of a chorus that kept coming to me uh, as I prepared this sermon. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to you to share his love as he told me to. He said, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you believe, others will know that I live. Amen.